Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Stephen King cast, one man's musings on the works of Stephen King. Each week, I will review one entry in the bibliography of Stephen King in the chronological order of publication, except this week what I'm doing, it's a little something a little bit different. Um, a couple months ago, I did give an update on all of the lists of Stephen King works in development. But uh, last week, a listener asked me to to do it again, but updated. So I decided, hey, that's actually a good idea because I just finished up reviewing a year later. But uh, I did finish up reviewing Mr. Mercedes, the TV show. And for those of you who might not have listened to those those episodes, um, I would strongly recommend that you listen to those. And I would even recommend even more strongly, stronger, strongliest, uh, Go over to DirecTV um, and and watch them because the the I was really enamored with the the Mr. Mercedes television show and I'm very excited that uh, we'll be getting a second season uh, airing very very soon in August and there will be a Comic Con presence this year at San Diego so I'm I'm excited about that so what this episode is going to be it's going to be dedicated all towards the current Stephen King works uh, that are currently in some sort of development. And uh, I just think this is a really good time for it. Um, but before I get I even I even get there, uh, there's a couple things I want to do, first of which is I want to read some reviews on iTunes because I can't do it without you. The, the first of which comes from, let me see, uh, the first of which comes from the absolute best SK podcast from Big Daddy 66669, who writes, um, absolute must listen. The host does an excellent job of exploring the connections between Stephen King's works and reminding us all how extraordinary a writer world and character building Stephen King is. The host has encouraged me to get back to read many of Stephen King's works that I've read before and reading many of his earlier works that I had missed. I've been a Stephen King fan for nearly 30 years and still haven't read Christine Firestarter and The Shining. Now I have and love, love, love them. Thank you, Constant Reader. So thank you, Big Daddy 66669. Um, and then we have uh, Bryce is a skate god uh, who writes best podcast. He gets right to <laughs> gets right to the point, which is great. He doesn't go off on tangents that have nothing to do with what he is talking about. He doesn't talk about politics and only focuses on the stories. I do disagree with some things, but that's not a negative. He does the best out of all of the Stephen King podcasts. Um, Bryce is a skate god is uh, being a little sarcastic there um, because a couple things that I do not do, I do not get right to the point. Um, I do go off on tangents quite frequently, and I do talk about politics. Um, I know that can be very off-putting for some people, but um, it isn't as if politics are not baked into the works of Stephen King, um, both the works of Stephen King and Stephen King, the author. Um, so that is, I know that we're living in a very politically loaded time, but uh, but politics are and always have been something that Stephen King has um, believed in. Um, so thank you, Bryce. Um, that one literally made me laugh out loud when I, when I first read that. And then we have, uh, from Aerosmith fan and young rocker who writes great podcast, really enjoy the different perspective given on some of his work. Want to email in sometime, please do. Then we have Zach in, uh, who writes fantastic. I just started listening to this podcast and I'm hooked. It's fun to listen to. Keep it up. I plan to. So thank you. And then we have, uh, jumbo 420 shrimp who writes, Great listen. 
Really enjoying the show. Affable host, witty discussion, and a pair of pugs uh, are what the constant reader enjoy will enjoy here. I mean, come on. Who doesn't love a pug snoring peacefully in the background? Thank you, Jumbo420 Shrimp, and thank you for appreciating the uh, my two furry co-hosts that, that, that pop in from time to time. So, guys, if you haven't done so already, head on over to iTunes because a review will really help me out, um, keep me relevant, keep me credible, and uh, keep me closer to the top of the iTunes search engine. And, guys, now what I'm going to do, I'm going to get to some emails. So if you haven't done so already, uh, you can always write into stephenkingcast at yahoo.com. So up first, we have Jen who writes, Dear Constant Reader, I want you to know how much I truly enjoy your podcast and your clear passion for the works of Stephen King. There is something about King's writing that I feel doesn't always get discussed. He seems to really enjoy having a lot of bathroom humor in his books, often going for gross out. As much as I greatly respect him as a writer, there are times when I feel like he has the sense of humor of a 13-year-old. He likes potty humor and sex humor and isn't afraid to quote-unquote go there. Whether or not his choice to do this works tends to be hit or miss for me. Hearts in Atlantis has a sequence where Bobby and Ted experience flatulence after eating beans, which fits the lighthearted coming-of-age tone of that book. It has a sequence where Henry Bowers and his friends light their farts on fire, unaware that Beverly can see their genitalia, which fits the perverse, uncomfortable tone of Henry's character. It is also a coming-of-age story, so I find some of the juvenile and sexual humor works in its favor. Other moments do leave me scratching my head. Eyes of the Dragon has a joke early in the book where King Roland's flaccid penis is described, and Sasha, who's never seen one before, points to it while asking, Husband, what's that? It's a little weird to think King wrote a scene like this in a book dedicated to his teenage daughter. However, where this felt the most flat to me was in the final Dark Tower book. The Dark Tower series has some very beautiful writing and an overall serious tone, so I find it so jarring that is. In what is the final book of such an epic and well-told series, King resorts to such lowbrow gags as hayless eating boogers. There were wet snots and big boogies in some of the tissues. He could smell their enticing aroma even now. He would save the biggest of the latter, the one with the jellied blood in it for later. The first time I read this passage over a decade ago, I actually put the book down and said, dude, what the fuck? Or how about another passage about Mordred? Once he shit a pint or so of stinky brown fluid in his pants, he gave out a victory fart. But But although this one was long and smelly, it was silent. His asshole was now a broken squeeze box that could no longer make music, but only gasp. Look, I enjoy a fart joke as much as anyone, but there's a difference between having a genuine character-driven joke and just being sophomoric in a way that undermines the integrity of the story. Maybe it wouldn't bother me as much as if the story had been set in our world, but being set in a foreign world full of magic and heavy themes, these gags feel just so juvenile and lowbrow. I guess you could say that gross-out and sex humor have always been a a part of King's style. I'd be curious to know how you feel about it. Jen. Jen, um... Yeah, it's one of those things that I guess I've understood that it is that you're going to get that in a Stephen King work. I I guess I didn't know how blatant it was until you pointed it out to me. I think another listener had written a similar email a couple of years ago um, 
but whenever I read passages when they're pointed out, as you could as you can tell, I I was just laughing as I was reading them. They, it's absurd. It's absurd that someone that does have the ability of writing such truth uh, in his works can also resort to like you said, lowbrow humor. So I'm totally on board with you. I totally get what you're saying. Um, and now. I know that whenever I read a Stephen King work, I'm going to notice it that much more when I come across it. So thank you. Um, and then we have Dan who writes, Dear Constant Reader, I've been a lifelong Stephen King fan and loyal listener to Stephen King, uh, the Stephen King cast for about 18 months. I want to share two quick stories of briefly meeting Stephen King and Joe Hill um, with yourself and your listeners. In doing so, I hope to make a few recommendations. I am an academic and occasional fiction writer. I only mention this because it plays a part in the stories. In February of 2002, I received tickets from the Mystery Writers of America to benefit to a benefit show for Frank Muller, who had been in a motorcycle accident. Muller was an actor who recorded the audiobook version for several Stephen King works. I'm going to interject myself. I have not listened. I'm not a big uh, audiobook fan. I like to just, I like to read. I know that's at some point in the future that is going to flip and I'm going to probably get really, really into audiobooks. I can just see that being a part of my journey at some point. But I, with all that said, I have heard nothing, nothing but amazing things for the Frank Muller um, audiobooks that he has done for Stephen King. Anyway, to continue, King and Peter Straub were scheduled to read from their recently released novel, Black House. Straub did just that, but King pulled a quick switch and read the excerpt, The Revenge of Lardass Hogan. I can only describe that reading as magical. You can find the audiobook on Amazon under the Wave Dancer Benefit, a tribute to Frank Muller. Flash forward about four years later, I was attending the Bram Stoker Award ceremony held by the Horror Writers Association. I was fortunate enough to be nominated that year, but I really wanted to shake Peter Straub's hand and congratulate him on receiving the Lifetime Achievement Award that year. He thanked me and introduced me to Joe, the bearded man drinking with him. After saying hi, all I could think of was, man, he looks like a young Stephen King. Needless to say, I felt like an idiot when he took home the Stoker Award for the story collection 20th Century Ghosts and the short story Best New Horror. He, of course, thanked his famous dad both times. In closing, keep up the great work and we'll keep listening. Dan. Dan, thank you so much for writing in. That that's that those are some great anecdotes right there. Um and up next, uh, we have Cosmo who writes, Hey CR. So I finished writing, reading the, sorry. So I finished the Dark Tower series over the weekend and was shocked, saddened, angry, and melancholic. Uh, okay, guys, spoiler alert for the conclusion of the Dark Tower. So, uh, shocked, saddened, angry, and melancholic over how this final few hundred pages wrapped everything up, just as I was supposed to feel, I suppose. I decompressed by listening to your equally epic analysis of the final trio of books. Loved it. Put my mind and heart at some level of ease. So for that, I say thank you. I figured my choice for hair of the dog remedy was to jump into insomnia. Here's where it gets trippy. Get this. Something weird is going on. So what I like to do is read the book and listen to the audiobook simultaneously. Began that with Insomnia read by Eli Wallach tonight. There is stuff being read that either isn't in it or is described differently in my hard copy of the book. What was that about? 
It's a little adjective adjustment or minor expansions. In the book, a character is described as having dark green eyes and the Eli Wallach reads dark blue eyes. This is some eerie shit, especially with Insomnia's relationship to the Dark Tower, like these two different versions existing. Imagine, this is physical evidence of the Mandela effect being real. Like, of course, it would be found in a Stephen King novel. And not just any Stephen King novel, but the one that the Calvins of the Keystone Earth's Tet Corporation claimed to have secret encoded messages for Roland. Feck, what a mindfuck. Anyway, that's it. If you have insight on these discrepancies, please share your constant listener, Cosmo. Cosmo, that is great, and you are correct. If any book is going to have, um, if it's going to go a long way, having some minor editorial uh, inconsistencies like this, it's going to be insomnia. That's great. Um, I, I'm going to like to believe that this is purposeful. It's probably not. It's probably just just that. Different editions might have had um, some editorial tweaking here and there but that is that's really really cool that's a really cool experience um so i'm, I'm jealous of, of having uh that particular moment um and and just questioning your reality and wondering if if somewhere out there a beam has fallen and the worlds are bleeding together which is such a fun uh such a fun way of thinking about it. So guys, if you haven't done so already, feel free to write in at stephenkingcast at yahoo.com. There's a ton of Stephen King uh, works and development to get excited for, and that's what the rest of this episode is going to be dedicated toward. So write in at stephenkingcast uh, at yahoo.com and, and let me know what you think. So guys, like I said, there's a lot of things to look forward to um, regarding Stephen King. So last year we were um, hit with a deluge of Stephen King adaptations. The the, the pinnacle, of course, um, was it um, that that really ushered in um, a, a new golden age of of Stephen King. Of course, we also had the Dark Tower in the same summer, but we don't really need to talk about that too much. But we had uh, we did have the Dark Tower. We did have it. Then we had. Um, 1922 we had gerald's game and that's just the tip of the iceberg really guys uh we have a ton of stuff to look forward to so what i'm gonna do in this uh episode is let's get right to it so um the one that most that people are are most excited for is i would say it is it chapter two um this has been it has an all-star cast well not an all-star cast but it's got a, a heavy hitters murderers row um we have james mcavoy playing adult bill uh, which i think is fantastic casting because he has demonstrated that he can play a leader and that is what that is what bill has to be and he has a lot of charisma you know, he, he has what it takes to be the din of, of the, the losers clubs quartet. Um, we have Jessica Chastain who is playing an adult Bev, which was fan casting made real. I am very, very excited about that, uh, because it's Jessica Chastain and she can do no wrong. And also fan casting that, that came real is, uh, Richie Tozier being played by Bill Hader. Now, guys, if you have only seen Bill Hader from Saturday Night Live, uh, you'll know that, of course, he can do funny. But you're doing yourself a disservice by not seeing the range that Bill Hader has. So a show like Barry or a movie like Skeleton Twins will show you that 
he has a dramatic range within him. And that's not a surprise because when it comes to comedians, they tend to be able to do dramatic very well because they they understand the emotional spectrum, I guess, um, in ways that dramatic actors can't do comedy the way that comedic actors can can do drama. Uh, so it, I... I, I have a lot of faith in chapter two. Um, I do have some hesitations, but I, I feel that chapter one did such a good job. They have earned so much goodwill. I'm very, very excited about what um, this entire lead up to the movie is going to be, because just as the first movie did, the social media campaign already is knocking it out of the ballpark with... Um, just behind the scenes, them at a table read, uh, you know, and then Jessica Chastain, uh, she had posted on her Instagram account, um, a a Photoshop version of Bev as a child, as an adult with Sophia Lillis's face morphing into hers. So there's just keep an eye on on the social medias, uh, because then you will see, you'll get your, your appetite whetted, um, as, as we head into, uh, the the actual movie and, and the trailers and, and everything that, that will come between now and the release. But we don't have to wait that long for uh, for Stephen King works. We don't have to wait as far as uh, 2020, I believe, is when it's coming out. Um, we don't even have to wait until the end of July. Uh, between now and August, guys, one of the most anticipated Stephen King, uh, it's not even an adaptation, but uh, Stephen King television work um, will be coming to the small screens, and that is Castle Rock. So from all accounts, everything that I've seen about this show, which I don't have any backstage access or anything like that, it's just all of the trailers that I've seen have been phenomenal. Um, and those that have seen it, um, the, the some reviews have started to come out. The embargo lifted the other day, I do believe, Uh but it is for those that love their Stephen King, they are saying that you should keep your eyes open for this. I have high hopes in Castle Rock, um, and I'm very, very excited um, to, to, to sit down, watch it, review it, and then share all my thoughts on the Stephen King cast um, with all of you. It will be dropping, I believe, on July 25th. And um, it'll be coming out on Hulu and uh, it will be there will be a a, um, Castle Rock panel at San Diego Comic-Con this year. So I'm very, very excited. And as I said earlier in this episode, um, at the end of the summer, we also have Mr. Mercedes season two coming out um, on DirecTV. So I am very thrilled about that. Um, I don't know what I'm going to do because I used up my free membership with DirecTV and I'm trying to to pinch pennies on on my end of things. So I don't know if I'm going to wait again until the season has concluded and then review it. I would love to review it, you know, once a week. That would be great. But uh, yeah, I really, really enjoyed Mr. Mercedes. It made me look more fondly at the the, the source material, which I famously was not a, a big fan of. Um, but, but, you know, I am almost as excited about Mr. Mercedes season two as I am about Castle Rock. I'm not saying a lot. And then um, we have, um, I had 
talked about this um, in an earlier podcast, but I will uh, read this again. This is from Variety, dated uh, April 20th. Um, this is about uh, the Tommyknockers. We have uh, the Tommyknockers coming at us. Universal Pictures has won an auction for Stephen King's The Tommyknockers, which is being developed as a movie by producers James Wan and Roy Lee. So um, just so you know, James Wan is... I believe a a great filmmaker, The Conjuring, um, and uh, Insidious are wonderful horror movies that are that are so stylish, um, but they 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 have a a heart to them. I mean, that I I do very much enjoy the um, the actual characters. I care about the characters within those movies and that is because of James Wan's ability to, to tell a good story and he's so visually dynamic um, that I, I, I'm very much looking forward to seeing what he is going to be able to do with all the imagery within the world of the Tommyknockers. It's an imagery-rich uh, story so to do this justice on the big screen you need to have a keen eye and he has that so you know um i don't want to knock dc movies because that is the the chic thing to do um but i'm not a huge fan of what warner brothers uh has done for the dc property with the exception of um wonder woman uh shazam the the stills and uh, look amazing for Shazam. I'm really excited about Shazam and just the the costume and what I believe the tone of that movie is going to be. Um, and I'm not the biggest fan of the interpretation of the, the current, um, live action version of Aquaman, but I do trust James Wan to be able to give us, uh, a thrilling imagery, rich, live action adaptation of of Aquaman. So I'm very, very excited about that. And then we also have, and this is very, very new news, we have The Outsider. Um, So this is from Screen Rant, um, written on June 13th from Craig Elvey, who writes, Stephen King's latest novel, The Outsider, has already been optioned for a television adaptation by Media Rights Capital. The Outsider was only released on May 22nd, but has already received plenty of critical acclaim. The novel focuses on a well-liked teacher accused of brutally murdering an 11-year-old girl. Investigating the case is Detective Ralph Anderson, who finds that although the suspect's DNA was found at the scene of the crime, he has an ironclad alibi. Thus begins the tale that mixes together elements of crime fiction, police procedural, and of course, King's own classic touch. So many of Stephen King's works have been translated on screen that the prolific author has arguably done as much for the world of television and film as he has for literature. Such classics such as uh, Shawshank Redemption, The Shining, The Green Mile to horror staples like Pet Cemetery and It. King adaptations are ever present on both the big and small screens. However, they don't succeed always succeed. The Dark Tower quickly fell by the wayside despite initial hype and recent TV uh, efforts such as Under the Dome and The Mist experienced mixed fortunes before ultimately being canceled. These relative failures don't seem to have deterred studios from seeking King to to adapt King's material. However, as Deadline are reporting that MRC have optioned a 10-episode limited television series based on the author's latest novel, The Outsider. Richard Price is set to write, and the team of Jack Bender and Marty Bowen are acting as executive producers, with King himself having the option to join them if he wishes. 
Given his work as a director on shows such as Game of Thrones, Bender may also end up behind the camera on the pilot episode. This news will, of course, be hugely exciting to Stephen King legions of fans, but as with many of the author's adaptations, The Outsider will likely attract a diverse television audience, many of whom are unaware that they're watching a Stephen King pen story. The author is well known for disliking many on-screen versions of his books, and it'll be interesting to see whether the Outsider TV series will attract the favor of its original creator. Um, As far as the team behind The Outsider goes, there are both positive and negatives to be drawn. Reassuringly, Jack Bender and Marty Bowen are incredibly familiar with King's style, with the pair also working on the Mr. Mercedes television series. Having Richard Price take on writing duties is also an exciting prospect for the series in its early stage of production. However, it's perhaps worth noting um, with some caution that as MRC, we're also behind the poorly received The Dark Tower movie, which managed to turn a beloved Stephen King property into a film that many felt was too unfaithful to the source material. Um, so that, that's kind of a, a negative look at the news uh, of The Outsider being turned into a television show, which, because it's coming with some of the pedigree from Mr. Mercedes, which is fitting, and I'll leave it at that, uh, I, I'm looking forward to it. Yes, I do have hesitations with the production company that is also responsible for the the, the Dark Tower movie, but uh, but I'll hold on hope because I do tra- I do trust Jack Bender, um, whether it be his work helping to to shape the, the his, with his role as a director um, on Lost, Game of Thrones he produced or he directed uh, one of the most heartbreaking episodes of Game of Thrones and his work on Mr. Mercedes. I trust Jack Bender. Okay, and then we also have uh, The Long Walk. The Long Walk, and this I'm reading from uh, The Hollywood Reporter from April 25th from James Vanderbilt. Um, no, I'm sorry, who, I'm trying to think of the, who was the author here? Because I want to make sure that I give the author credit. Uh, I'm sorry, guys. I, I can't seem to find the the author of this article, but we have... Okay, so it says, James Vanderbilt is writing the screenplay and will produce with Bradley Fisher and William Shrek. New Line Cinema, which made the big screen version of Stephen King's It, is staying in the King business, setting its sights on adapting the novel The Long Walk. James Vanderbilt, who is behind the Robert Redford, Kate Blanchett drama Truth, has written the script to adapt the book, which King wrote under the pseudonym Richard Bachman. Vanderbilt will also produce with Bradley Fisher and William Chirac. Um, So just so you know, first published in 1979, The Long Walk is set in the future dystopian America ruled by an authoritarian. The country holds an annual walking contest in which 100 teens must journey nonstop and under strict rules until only one of them is still standing alive to receive the prize. The story is told the story told of a 16-year-old walker named Raymond Garrity and the teens, some good, some bad, some mysterious, in his orbit. Setting up the project is a culmination over a decade's work for Vanderbilt and Fisher. The two were fans of the book and were keen to bring it to the screen, but it was in development for years with writer-director Frank Darabont, who previously made King projects based on the Shawshank Redemption, The Green Mile, and The Mist. Vanderbilt even wrote his initial drafts on spec several years ago without having the screen rights. Those rights finally left Daramont, allowing the duo to pounce and bring them to New Line. 
All right. Um, so I, I, I have mixed feelings about that one because I really enjoyed the long walk when I first read it as a teen, but I, when I reread it for the purposes of the, the Stephen King cast, I was less into it. Um, I think that it could be good though. If it is, if it is treated like a introspective drama, set against the backdrop of a dystopian world in which philosophical conversations are being had among the teens as they are making their long walk, it will be a unique piece of film. If it is treated, and I worry about this with studios, if it's treated like something out of the Hunger Games, if they decide to action it up, it's going to be just derivative of any other dystopian young adult uh piece of fiction and i i believe that this genre has completely run its course so i mean i, I think that the long walk itself is is coming even though it is in many ways a precursor of what the hunger games were it's coming late to the game um so i don't know if it's going to be able to offer up a lot to mass audiences um if there's going to be a much of a want to see this type of story because I believe that we're, we're seeing um, just dwindling returns here on, on this type of dystopian fiction. And I don't know if audiences are going to want it to be an introspective look of characters just walking and talking. Uh, so I don't know. And if it's action, like I said, I think that's just going to look like any other dystopian future uh, movie that we have coming out. So I don't know. They, I just think that their back is against the wall in making this. I'm interested to see how it turns out. I just don't know. I, I just don't know what to expect. But I am more excited about this most recent news um, regarding Dr. Sleep. So this is from Variety. Um uh, Justin Kroll writes, Rebecca Ferguson is in negotiations to co-star with Ewan McGregor in Warner Brothers' adaptation of the Stephen King novel, Dr. Sleep, the, the sequel to the horror classic, The Shining. McGregor is on board to star as the adult version of Danny Torrance in The Pick. It is unknown who Ferguson will be playing. I'm going to interject. Mike Flanagan, the director, um, has all but confirmed that she is Rose the Hat. Mike Flanagan, who helmed Netflix's adaptation of the King novella Gerald's Game, is directing. Uh, Flanagan's producing partner Trevor Macy will produce along with Vertigo. Um, Vertigo Entertainment's John Berg. So I am very excited about this because... I trust um, Mike Ferguson. I re sorry, Mike Flanagan. I really enjoyed uh, Gerald's Game, and if you haven't seen it, you should, because it's on Netflix, so you can go check it out right now. Um, it, that is not an easy novel to adapt, and yet he did it nearly flawlessly. I have some nitpicks with it, but I would strongly recommend it. I, he was able to. Uh, take what is a very introspective and almost unfilmable novel and turned it into a thrilling piece of audiovisual entertainment. Um, he got some really good uh, acting out of his uh, actors and actresses. And it was, it came out 
hot on the heels of it and i would say that it's actually more frightening than anything that was in it uh and you can tell that he is a deep-seated stephen king fan because there is such a good and well-placed dark tower easter egg in that movie so this is someone that knows his king i trust him for that and for him to want to go out and tackle the sequel to the shining that is a challenge and so that means that he has something to say here now dr sleep gets i believe unfortunately and unfairly ridiculed um it is maligned in a lot of circles if you whatever your thoughts are on dr sleep if you haven't listened to my review of the book please do because i really I wasn't hot on it when I first read it, but when I read it again for the purposes of this podcast with a critical lens, I thought it was an incredibly strong novel. It can't be The Shining, but you don't want it to be a, a, a straight-up sequel to The Shining because then what are we doing? We're just we're, we're going through the same beats. I, I've said this before. I've gone on Twitter. It, it, it zigs where The Shining zags. When you expect something to happen, it does the exact opposite, and it's all purposeful. Um, and I, I'm very interested to see what a movie adaptation of that is going to be. Now, I, I, I'm not even talking about like what I think the most exciting thing is here. Rebecca Ferguson is going to be playing Rose the Hat. End of story. You have my money. If you have seen, I haven't seen. Um, uh, Mission Impossible Fallout yet. I cannot wait to see Mission Impossible Fallout uh, because Rebecca Ferguson was fantastic in the previous um, Mission Impossible movie. And I, as soon as I you know, saw that, yes, she's going to be great as Rose the Hat. And of course, Ewan McGregor is going to be great as Danny Torrance. And that's a big name to get for this. So I'm very, very excited. I don't know how they are going to... I feel like they're going to play up the overlook aspects and the shining aspects of this um because i think that that's what people are going to want in 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 this day and age they're going to want to revisit the past we've seen this again and again with reboots and and nostalgia fever that's hitting us so i do believe that we're going to be getting direct homages to kubrick's vision of of uh the the shining and uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we actually get back to the Overlook. So um, that is something that I am very, very excited to see. Um, and then I'm also very, very curious about Pet Cemetery. We have a Pet Cemetery remake coming. And then this is from Slash Film from Chris Evangelista, who writes, The Pet Cemetery remake is currently in production, and the Stephen King adaptation just added two children to the cast. These are the Creed kids, Ellie Creed, who, like most Stephen King children, possesses psychic abilities, <laughs> and Gage Creed, a toddler who wakes up from a dirt nap extra cranky. Um, Entertainment Weekly has a scoop on some recent Pet Cemetery casting, um, so I don't, I'm not going to get into that, but it, it's this is one that is, you know, it, it is currently filming at this point, so this also stars uh, Jason Clark, um, Amy Simitz, um, who is great. I, I'm really excited about um, the, the, her her role in this. I think that she'll be great. Um, and, and John Lithgow as Judd Crandall, uh, which is which is an interesting choice. I mean, he's I, I think that I mean, at the very least, he's going to be magnetic. Um, 
but I'm, I'm, I'm interested in that. Um, we have rumors that there might be some sort of talisman adaptation. Steven Spielberg was interviewed recently for Entertainment Weekly um, around the time that Ready Player One came out, and he was talking about he and Stephen King being like basically long lost soul brothers. Because I mean, if you think their their journeys um, are parallel with each other, they're both st- steeped in the same. Uh, you know, era and, and they play with very, very similar themes and tropes. And he has had the option of, of the talisman since it was, since it came out, since before it came out. Um, so he has kind of made a hint that it could happen sooner than later. Um, so I, I would keep your eyes open for that. And then we have, I'm going to read this from digital spy about Firestarter. Um, so Matt Chapman writes, uh, she's a fire starter, a twisted fire starter. Good luck getting that ear warm out of your head now that we've planted it. Uh, but you have to admit that's the perfect song to play in this remake of Stephen King's Firestarter. Adapted from King's 1980 novel with the same name, there has already been an 80s-tastic version of the story with Drew Barrymore, Drew Barrymore, Drew Barrymore playing the little girl who can set things on fire just by looking at them. The film was ultimately seen as a failure. King himself described it as one of the worst adaptations of his work, calling it flavorless like cafeteria mashed potatoes. Expectations might have been understandably low for the remake based on that assessment. But with the team behind the Oscar-winning horror Get Out Now on board, this adaptation just caught fire. Here's everything you need to know about the remake. Firestarter release date. When's it coming? We don't have a firm release date yet, but with a director and writer in place and a production team that's raring to go, expect to find this to find its place on the film schedules either late in 2019 or at some point in 2020. Firestarter plot will be faithful to the 1980 novel. The text-heavy poster for the original 1984 film reused the voiceover from the trailer and pretty much told you everything you need to know about the plot. Charlie McGee is a happy, healthy, eight-year-old little girl, normal in every way but one. She has the power to set objects afire with just one glance. It's a power she does not want. It's a power she can't control. And each night, Charlie prays to be just like every other child. But there are those who will do everything in their power to find her, control her, or destroy her. Charlie McGee is Stephen King's fire starter. Will she have the power to survive? Born to psychic parents, Charlie's target for shady government agency that wants to harness her powers. Expect lots of LOLs as reviewers who weren't born in the 80s suggest it rips off character of Eleven from Stranger Things. Recent Stephen King adaptation It felt free to take some liberties with its source material, so Firestarter may do the same. We don't expect to see too many uh, Kingverse nods either. Uh, Firestarter cast will there be where will there be a role for Drew Barrymore? There's been no word on potential cast members yet, so we're free to indulge in a little dream casting. First up, the obvious: a young Drew Barrymore starred as the girl with pyrokinetic powers in the first adaptation. Can she set the box office alight again and come back to play Charlie's mom, Victoria McGee, taking up where Heather Locklear left off? For the title role, we'd also love to see Madison Wolf burning up the screen as Charlie. Her turn in the graphic novel adaptation I Kill Giants was exceptional, and she definitely helped bring this character to life and makes adaptation avoid another mashed potato description by King. Fire, di- Fire 
Starter production. When does it start? Universal has been developing Firestarter for some time, and with King's Properties' hot following success of it, the studios pushed to get this film into production. With the producers of last year's excellent horror breakout Get Out on board, we're confident this film is in good hands. Jason Bloom's company Bloomhouse is responsible for hit horror franchises such as Paranormal Activity, The Purge, The Insidious Sinister Universe, and M. Night Shyamalan's Split. Uh, Blum will be producing alongside Akiva Goldsman, wah, wah. while Martha De Laurentiis, who worked on the original Firestarter, is on board as an executive producer. Um, so let's see. And then Firestarter director, who's directing it, writing the script? Amazingly, the first time around, we almost got John Carpenter's Firestarter. Universal offered him the gig while he was shooting The Thing, but swapped him out for Mark L. Lester when that alien body horror didn't do the numbers at the box office this time around king sci-fi thriller has already found a director and writer faith akin will helm the adaptation working from a script by scott teams so that's everything that we know about firestarter um and i am excited about firestarter i i believe that you know they mentioned stranger things there's definitely a market for it right now and then we have the boogeyman so this is from Deadline. Um, Mike Fleming Jr. writes, 20th Century Fox is finalizing a deal for The Boogeyman, a pitch package for a horror film that teams an iconic Stephen King short story with Scott Beck and Brian Woods describes behind the genre hit A Quiet Place. 21 Laps, Sean Levy, Dan Levine, and Dan Cohen are producing. King's short story was first published in 1973 and later released as part of his 1978 Night Shift collection. The Boogeyman follows a man who recently lost all of his children to a creature lurking in the closet. It becomes the latest King fiction to get the option for film or TV treatment, a pace accelerated after the outsized success of it. Um, so just so you guys know, um, and you probably know already, but... Uh, uh, the Boogeyman is one of those books that, or one of those stories that I get more emails about The Boogeyman than I do about any other Stephen King work. And that's because I was so flippant in my review of The Boogeyman when I reviewed it way back in the early days of the Stephen King cast. Um, but I have been schooled by my faithful listeners uh, and the constant readers out there. And I'm very, very excited to see what the writers of... Um, a quiet place bring to this short story guys if you haven't seen a quiet place you need to see a quiet place and when you see a quiet place it's not in theaters anymore but it will come out on when it comes out on blu-ray you need to make sure that you are listening to it with the sound turned all the way up and you have a quiet house no distractions just be into it um and then we have i mean i'm not gonna i'm not gonna read the I'm not going to read uh, the articles about these because there hasn't been any new news. Um, but Gingerbread Girl has been optioned. Um, N has been optioned. Um, and I am not excited about N. Those of you who have been listening for a while will know that I love this short story. But it just seems that the version that we get of N, the audiovisual version that we get of N is going to be an it ripoff, um, which is ridiculous. Uh, the Bone Church. I don't know how they're going to make the Bone Church into a uh, into a movie, but we're going to get a, or a TV show, which is I, even more baffling to me. 
Then we have older news. Um, I haven't heard any sort of development on Drunken Fireworks. James Franco has, has optioned this. Um, and then Hearts in Atlantis, not an, a remake of the Anthony Hopkins movie, but the actual novella Hearts in Atlantis. Um, so I, I and I haven't heard anything about that. Th- those are older. Those are older stories. Um, and then, guys, we have uh, Josh Boone adaptations that are just in hanging out there. Lisey's story, Josh Boone is attached to that. Um, Revival, Josh Boone is attached to a Russell Crowe starring um, adaptation of Revival, but there's been no development on that. And then The Stand, which has just been languishing um, in, in, in some, some sort of development for years. Um, it was going to be a movie. It was going to be a two-part movie. Ben Affleck was going to do it. Ben Affleck wasn't going to do it. Then Josh Boone comes on. It's going to be a four-part series or four-part movie. Nope, it's not going to be a four-part movie. It's going to be um, on television. No, it's not going to be on television. It's going to be a movie. No, it is going to be on television. It looks going to be. It's going to be on uh, CBS All Access as a ten-part series. I don't know what to expect with the stand. Um, I I just I I worry that there's been so much back and forth about the stand the the last Stephen King adaptation that had this many ins and outs and these, this many news cycles led to the Dark Tower. We all know how that turned out. Um, so I'm I'm not confident or or, 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 or very optimistic about um, a stand adaptation. And then um, we have you know nothing nothing truly uh, to to sink our teeth into, but we we have a Dark Tower. Uh, Amazon, we we assume, um, TV series coming out. Um, Glenn Mazzara, I believe, uh, from Walking Dead fame, is going to be the showrunner for it. Um, originally, it was going to be um, uh, an adaptation of Wizard and Glass, uh, and it was going to dovetail out of the, the movie, but all signs are pointing to that they are just doing away with the movie and they're going to be doing their own thing, which is the best thing they could do. I don't know if they're still planning on doing wizard and glass or if I don't know, I don't know what they're planning on doing. I, I just think at this point, if you're going to do a dark tower series, just do a dark tower series. Just, just do it as is. Cause it's all laid out for you. you you've seen from game of Thrones. Just, just do it. Just, just, just do it. Like, don't be fancy. Don't be cute. Don't, I almost say don't be creative, but just just do it. Like, don't try and find your way in. Okay, your way in is in the Mohane Desert, and and your way in starts iconically. You know how it starts. I know how it starts. We all know how it starts. The man in black fled across the desert, and the gunslinger followed. If you try and do anything else, then it's not true to what the story is. It's not true to that opening line. It's not true to what 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 the heart of the Dark Tower is. So if you're gonna do it, just do it. If you don't want to do it, then don't. It's that simple. Um, and then we have uh, the Stephen King's sons. We have a lot of um, adaptations coming our way from uh, Joe Hill and Owen King. So I am very, very excited about uh, Lock and Key, which is finally, fingers crossed, going to make its way to Netflix. So Lock and Key, if you don't know, is the maybe masterpiece of Joe Hill and artist Gabriel Rodriguez. It was a comic book um, published by IDW Comic Books um, in the in the early to mid two thousands, and I'm going to be getting around to it. Um, I'm I'm 
ready to go with all my re- my episode recordings. I just um, I think I'm actually going to get through Castle Rock, and then after Castle Rock, I'll give all my thoughts on Lock and Key by each volume. So I'm very excited to dive into Lock and Key. Um, it, it it has everything that you want out of Joe Hill, and has everything you want out of Stephen King. It's a fantastic story. I can't wait to talk about it more. But it has almost been a television show a few times now and thankfully we dodged a bullet um i'd say around 2011 um where there was a pilot ordered to go at fox it actually screened at at comic-con um and you can watch that pilot on youtube and you can see what i mean by dodged a bullet it would have been very much of its time and i don't think it would have aged well i don't think that it would have lasted and i don't think that it really would have um it would have been. It would. I don't think they would honor um, or, or or fulfill the potential of of what that uh, that story is. So we have Lock and Key coming to Netflix, um, and then we have, from what I understand, Snapshot 1988 um, from Joe Hill's latest collection, uh, Strange Weather. I guess that that has been optioned. I'm excited about that. If you haven't checked out Strange Weather, guys, you really really should. Um, it's a fantastic collection of four uh, novellas. In the Tall Grass is a novella written by Stephen King and Joe Hill. It's really, really unsettling and strange and off-putting. And it's one of those ones that gets in your head and under your skin. Um, I will be reviewing it at some point. Um, And that is being made into a movie. Um, Nosferatu is coming to AMC. Um, I am excited about that. Um, Nosferatu is a uh, novel by Joe Hill. You can read all, you can listen to my thoughts. Uh, I've done an episode on that. Um, And then we have Sleeping Beauties, which um, is uh, based on a novel by Owen King and Stephen King that was released uh, this past year. Um, And I I think that this will be made into, this has the potential to be a a very imaginative um, adaptation. So that is... Everything that I can think of that is in some sort of production, like I said, there are there are some um, there are some uh, works that have been optioned, but I haven't heard anything about in in years. So I, I don't think that uh, we're really going to see much traction get made on that. But hey, who knows? In we're living in a Stephen King world now, uh, so every day it seems as though there's some sort of Stephen King adaptation that is getting picked up and uh you know spoken about so that's all i have for this episode um but guys if you are fans of not just stephen king but twin peaks um why don't you check on uh hanging with agent cooper a twin peaks podcast it's the other podcast that i do i launched it um this may to commemorate the the one year anniversary of Twin Peaks: The Return, it's a much like Twin Peaks: The Return itself. It's a limited podcast event. I'm reviewing each of the episodes in Twin Peaks: The Return on the year anniversary of when that episode was originally aired. Uh, so you can check that out. Um, like I said already, if you have any thoughts on Stephen King, write into Stephen Kingcast at yahoo.com. Leave an iTunes review, um, and then stay tuned next week. Um, I'll be back with something. Um, as of right now, I'm not quite sure what that something is, but I will be back. Um, and in the meantime, you have long days and pleasant nights. And I'll see you here next week where M-O-O-N spells Stephen King cast. <laughs>